Guys, before we get started today, wanted to let you know about a new podcast. You already know about it because you listened to this one. Dominique Foxworth was on this show every Tuesday, has his own show. It is the Dominique Foxworth Show. You can check it out twice a week. He is bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities around it, anything else he finds interesting. Um, you know Dominique. You know how brilliant he is. Download, subscribe, make the right choice. Listen wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Media Kaib Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks illegal contact is when someone touches his tail. That's Lenny. I'm Muni Kimes. It is week two, or ahead of week two, of the NFL season, and I'm delighted to be joined by a several-time guest, although it's been a minute, Sam Monson. A pleasure, as always, Mina. Thanks for having me. Has it, It's been a while, right? I, I'm not, I don't think... Yeah. Maybe since the season, last season, something like that. Um, yeah, it's been a while. It all blurs into one, though, you know? Truly, truly. Well, I, I don't know if you're, we're doing two twice a week now. Thank you to everyone who's been leaving reviews and telling me how you feel about the change and things you want. Keep that going. Um, thank you also to the guy who gave me four stars um, and cited my toes. I appreciate that. I feel like that should have been a five-star review, but that's fine. Um, so, so Sam, I say, so week one, I had Bill Simmons on. It was really hard to choose games because week one had so many like amazing games. Week two, <laughs> uh, it opens with a bang with Chargers Chiefs. And yeah. that is a lot of like, uh, I, I described them to you as kind of grimy. Yeah, but I think that's part of like overreaction week, right? Isn't that mm. every year coming out of week one, it's like, all right, throw everything we know about the NFL out the window. Week one is the only thing that matters. <laughs> so there's a bunch of teams that we thought were good who lost week one. And now it's like, oh, this game doesn't look as good anymore. You know, and we kind of, I think there's still some good games. I do too. In week two. Well, I, so what I, in choosing the games, you know, I, I tried to choose teams that, I want to spread it out a little bit because later in the season, you kind of stop talking about certain teams. Um, You know what I mean? Just because of relevance. It's like, are we really going to talk about like, I don't know, Texans, Falcons. That's not a real game, but whatever at the end of the season. Um, So I want to talk about some of the teams maybe that I wouldn't talk about later. And I also wanted to wait until I got caught up watching everything, which takes a while. Um, And I I figure like a good place to start is a, a, couple of teams that I haven't talked about a lot, um, one of whom won week one, and that's Commander's Lions. Um, are you ready to take command? Oh, no. God, no. I, I'm i so sad that they're not the football team I anymore. know. I still say it. Do you still say it? Well, it's just, it's better. It's better than Commander's. I mean, admittedly, almost anything is better than Commanders, but football team is better than Commanders. It just is. Um, football team's a cool name, too. Whatever. Anyways, we don't have to get into it. Uh, okay, so <laughs> let, 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 let's start with the Commanders. Cause I, so I, the last game I watched, actually, of my rewatch was Commanders-Jags, and spoiler alert, we're also going to talk about the Jags. And I want to start on a very optimistic note, which is the Commanders offense is fun. Like they are fun to watch. Um, feel free to disagree, but I, I'll start. You know, obvi- look, the Carson Wentz roller coaster remains alive. You go back to back interceptions, followed by back to back touchdowns. There's some boneheaded plays. There's some gorgeous throws. But for me, what made it fun was um, seeing 
this offense, the offense coordinator Scott Turner, who I think does a good job, now has a really fun group of skill players at his disposal. Like healthy Curtis Samuel, I was just talking about to Greg Rosenthal, is a real game changer in this offense. Yeah, and what I really like about the plan is I think they're taking the exact opposite approach to Carson Wentz that the Colts did. You know, the Colts last year were sort of obsessed with, Mm. um, let's just try and not have Wentz screw it up. You know, we made this move for him. If he doesn't play well, we all look like idiots. So let's try and, you know, protect him as much as possible and limit what we ask of him. The problem is... Like, he's just one of those guys that's going to make mistakes. You can't get that out of him. It's like Jameis Winston. You know, there are, those types of quarterbacks are always going to make those mistakes. There, I don't think there's any removing that from them. It's inherent. Um, so anything you do to try and limit that, all it really ends up doing is taking away the big plays or the good stuff that they can do that offsets the mistakes. So I, I think last year the Colts sort of limited the number of plays – good plays that they were going to get from Carson Wentz in the name of trying to get him to stop making mistakes. This year, I think Washington is looking at it and saying, look, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. We're going to get some bad in there. But the only way this works out well for us is if he makes, you know, two times the number of good plays than bad ones. And the net uh, result is a win. So let's embrace the chaos. Let's embrace the roller coaster and see what we get at the end of it. I think that's really accurate. You know, he is the ultimate high variance quarterback. So if you're not capturing that upper variance, kind of what are you doing, right? Because you're going to get the lower, like he's going to throw some bonehead, you, you book it. He's going to do some dumb stuff. So at least try to capture some of the high end stuff. And, and, and that's how you get like that gorgeous hole shot to McLaurin or the beautiful, there's a one throw to Logan Thomas that I thought was sensational. It wasn't a touchdown. It was a pretty uh, deep crosser, the John Dotson, who, by the way, looked amazing, touchdown. And then and then for me, like, the thing I love about Samuel in this offense is um, even when he doesn't get the ball, he's just influencing the defense on every play because of his shiftingness and speed, whether he's the motion man, whether um, uh, they're using him on the RPOs or in the run game, in the backfield, lining up the slot. Like, he, he has, he's really like a, the jack of all trades that we thought he would be. And then you throw in Gibson, who also can be used that way. I mean, I loved Gibson so much coming out of college, Sam, because of his pass-catching abilities. And it was really cool to see that on display in week one. Um, he's not just a running back who catches passes. He can actually, like, he he's a receiver. And I think if you're not taking advantage of that, you're really not exploiting his full skill set. So it was encouraging for me to see that in, like, in action because it hasn't always been the case yeah i think that's the point is if you rewind a year we were kind of saying a lot of the same things that if you look at personnel this washington team is loaded full of guys that cause mismatch problems Mm -hmm. because they're sort of hybrid players that can line up all over the place and then they just didn't do any of that it was like what's the point in adding all these guys to this offense if you're not going to take advantage of that sort of ability to transcend multiple positions and, and stress defenses simply by their presence on the field, it looks like we might actually start seeing more of that this year, which can only be good. And the other thing about the the embracing the high variance Wentz thing is that I think the high end of that gets better or the results get better depending on how good your receiving core is. And all of a sudden, Washington looks like they have a really good receiving core, at which point you want Wentz putting the ball in the air more. You want him taking more chances and giving those guys a chance to make plays. Like, I 
didn't love Jahan Dotson as a prospect coming out because I don't think he separates particularly well. But he is incredible at the catch point. Right. And and if you're going to have a guy like Wentz just say, screw it, Dotson's there somewhere, he'll make the catch. Like he might, it might not matter that he can't separate. Um, Jahan Dotson was one of my favorite prospects to watch just because watching him play with Sean Clifford, uh, it, it was like the difficulty level and every throw was so high and just watching him match that week to week, it was so entertaining. Um, so my question for you in, in this game, in this particular matchup, the Lions defense last week played the most man coverage in the NFL and it was pretty up and down. By the way, I, I was actually pretty surprised by that. Nearly 70% of the time, according to ESPN's tracking numbers. Would you take that approach against this Washington team? Um, I would never take that <laughs> approach against any team in the NFL these days. I just think playing... We've reached the point in offensive scheme sophistication where you can't run one thing. You, you just can't. It doesn't matter what the thing is. If it's man coverage, if it's zone coverage, if it's specific shells, you have to be versatile enough to show teams different things, to switch between um, different types of looks, to roll coverages. You have to rely on confusion because pretty much every quarterback in the NFL, every offensive play caller in the NFL is too good at just diagnosing the one thing. I think gone are the days when you can just line up and out-execute people unless you have assembled, you know, one of the greatest collection of defensive talent that the game has ever seen. And the Lions don't have that. So, yeah, I I wouldn't do that against any team, and certainly not this week. What did you make of the Lions' performance overall in Week 1? Because this is a team that, you know, there was a lot of hype around in the offseason, and you can sort of describe that hype in different ways like for me it was the belief that they would be better that they're building the right way that they would be competitive and I, I I don't and with the major caveat that I don't think Jared Goff is a good quarterback and I honestly felt like you know I wasn't entirely disabused of any of those beliefs in week one um there was some you know I, I think I probably would have liked to see a little bit more from the pass rush Aiden Hutchinson uh and then I think the wide receivers were not great obviously had some drops but this was a team that looked to have a very dominant offensive line, like we expected. Run game looked amazing, um, and I think like you know you saw some some of the young players kind of improving as the game went along. Like, do do you feel differently from about them now than you, how you felt before the season? Um, no, I, I think my problem with that first game is I think it was just a bad matchup to get a, a read on the sort of things that yeah. I want to see from the Lions this year um, because I love the way that they have undertaken this rebuilding project. I love the idea that they set out this multi-year approach and said, look, this is not going to happen year one. We're going to have a very um, concerted game plan. This is what year one's going to look like. This is what year two's going to look like. And then everything's going to come together as one and we'll be good. Um, the problem is you need to have made the right personnel decisions along the way for that to all coalesce at one time and work. And, you know, they loaded up with a bunch of young defensive talent, and now those guys need to step forward and sort of join the other parts of the team that are in a good shape, like the offensive line and those kinds of things. And Philadelphia has the best offensive line in the NFL, 
So I just don't think we had a particularly good read on whether that's going to happen yeah. this year because, you know, none of those defensive linemen really looked good against the Eagles. On the other hand, I don't think you would expect them to because the Eagles' offensive line is insane. So I, I think it's just sort of, you know, I still love what they're doing. I think the offense could actually do some damage, and, and that offensive line is great, but the loss of Vitae actually is potentially a pretty big problem. Um but I think it's still – I need to see another game against a team that just isn't as dominant with the, the offensive line to see what that defensive group looks like. The dude who came in for Vitae got destroyed yeah. in this game. Um, but but not, not so much so that they couldn't run the ball exceptionally well. Um, and I think that's one thing I like about the Lions in this particular game, the fact that they have such a dominant, potentially dominant run-blocking unit, and that's something we saw on display – um, with DeAndre Swift or the entire run game picking up 6.5 yards per carry, uh, getting so much uh, yards before contact as well. Now you're going up against a Washington front that Sam, I thought looked decent rushing the passer, but not so great in run defense in week one versus Jacksonville. They allowed 2.67 yards after contact, fourth worst in the NFL. I don't think it's a particularly good linebacking group. Um you know, uh, what's his name? Jamin Davis was, he, he, he got, uh, I think it was the ETN touchdown was the one where he got caught. And I, if I'm Detroit, uh, you know, I, I feel like the formula that we saw when things were clicking last week should probably click against this defense. To say nothing, by the way, about the fact that I also don't really love their cornerbacks. Yeah, I think overall... You know, this is a defense that is dramatically underperforming the sum of its parts, the sum of the talent. I think they're a better group individually than they put together when they all come together on game day. And they've been doing that for so long now that I think you have to start looking at the scheme and, and what what is happening there. Because you're right, it, it didn't play particularly well against the run. They did get a bunch of pressure, but that's a lot more of a sort of individual talent thing. You know, Jonathan Allen... Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, these are all ridiculous athletes and potentially ridiculous pass rushers, but it just doesn't function as a as a collective. And they've you know, they have a ton of coverage busts, they yeah. have a ton of plays where they're just not gap sound on, on defense against the run. And it's been again, it's been happening for so long now that I it's not this isn't like a blip. This isn't something that's just a bad run that's gonna go away. Like this is a problem on this defense. I think I kind of like both of these offenses better than both of these defenses from a matchup perspective. Um, I don't know, just because of what we saw from the. I, I, look, I'm like, like I said, I'm not high on Jared Goff and this passing attack. I think has some problems, but I think they'll be able to run the ball in Washington. And then on the flip side, um, I just don't think the Lions have the personnel to keep up with what what. Maybe this is an overreaction, but looks like one of the better receiving groups in the NFL. No, I think it is. I, I think it's a well-balanced receiving core. It's got elite talent in it, and even the guys where you know I think there are question marks necess- about certain types of uh, or certain parts of Jahan Dotson's skill set. The thing that he's amazing at kind of negates it. If Carson Wentz is going to be that style of quarterback, like a sort of Ryan Fitzpatrick plus where you just put the ball in the air and rely on your athletes winning it. So what do you think? (laughs) This is a tough one. I I kind of, I'm still leaning Washington, I think. Um, I want to see his favorite because I didn't look that up. And like, I feel like 
you could really go either way with this one. I think yeah. Washington's offense is more explosive, but I also think, yeah, they're favored by two and a half and it's in Detroit. So I also think though, but like I said, I really think Detroit's going to be able to run the ball on them. And if they can do that and, you know, just play ball control offense and Jared Goff doesn't make mistakes, I don't know. I, I kind of lean Washington, but this is, I don't know. I would stay away from this one. <laughs> I don't like it. Grimy. Also, don't forget, this is the, the showdown between number one and number two pick back in the 2016 draft. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's nuts. Hey, but speaking of early draft picks, I do want to give one shout out. I thought Jeff Okuda look nice and and that's you know we talk about the lions and like what defines success for them one thing i said before the season i really wanted to see is ken jeff okuda who i thought was like this incredible cornerback in college can he kind of finally when he's healthy put it together and i thought he got off to a pretty good start um against Devonte smith in week one so that's cool yeah and I, I think he had a nice preseason as well and he was sort of on the hot seat like i think he actually had to earn his starting job back in preseason i'm not sure they were they were uh, inclined to give it to him if he hadn't um, and yeah I think between preseason and the first game he's looked he's looked better than he's looked in the past yeah they didn't really have him on AJ Brown so it wasn't like well I mean Devontae Smith's a good receiver too but all right a sexier game one of the sexiest games Colts no I'm just kidding Bucks Saints <laughs> Bucks Saints um I am okay so I I actually am I feel like pretty far off from a lot of my colleagues on ESPN amongst the NFL analysts because I think the Bucks are significantly better than the Saints and everyone seems to disagree with me. Um I I think all thing if injuries weren't a factor I think they would definitely be. I'm a little bit concerned now by the injuries that keep hitting that Tampa Bay offense. Um obviously they lost you know, offensive linemen even before the season started. They keep threatening to lose more every time they suit up, whether it's practice, preseason, uh, the regular season now. And then receivers. I mean, Godwin just worked his way back and then pulls a hamstring trying to catch a low pass. Mike Evans constantly nicked up by one thing or the other. I, I do think that they're a more talented team. I think they're a more complete team. But, man, I get worried with the sheer weight of injuries that's hitting them. Um. As a Russell Gage fantasy manager, did not love week one. I also have Julio Jones, who, are, are we buying the Julio Jones turn back the clock? I wasn't buying it until they used him on a jet sweep. <laughs> what the hell is happening? <laughs> and then when he, when he wanted the go ball, I was like, oh my God, this is actually happening. Like, I feel like we always overrate these, you know, past their prime players when they rejoin super teams. But I, Sam, he might be good again. No, that was the best I've seen Julio Jones look for a long time. I mean, he just looked physically more like Atlanta Falcons Julio Jones, the guy that was, you know, physically more dominant than you were. He's bigger, faster, stronger, you know, has incredible uh, ability at the catch point on the sideline plays. He looked like that guy again. And I, you just have to hope that, you know, the, the quote-unquote injury he picked up was just just a hard fall and nothing more than that because, I honestly, I'm so excited if we get a – a healthy Julio Jones again. So as far as the, the injuries on the offensive line go, Brady was pressured on just over 20% of his dropbacks. Uh, he, this is such a Brady stat line, had a 2.5 second time to throw and a 10.7 air yard per attempt average, which is just freaking 
that's what he's been doing since he got to Tampa. <laughs> like, doesn't really make sense. Um, but when he was pressured, he was bad. Negative sixteen point eight percent completion percentage over expectation, which is not great and pretty consistent with what we know about Tom Brady at this stage of his career. Um, Sam, listen, I know the Saints defense always seems to have Brady's number, and I would be really concerned about that, but. I just watched Atlanta beat them in the drench. Like, what the? <laughs> was that just week one flukiness, or because the Saints' run defense looked so wildly different from what I expect? Yeah, I the I do tend to put it down to week one a little okay. bit. Also, also the fact that Atlanta's offense, I think, is is going to be quite good this yeah. year. And I've kind of been pushing this for a while, not just because I think they have talented players. But because, again, like Washington, they have players that cause you problems before you even do anything. Like Kyle Pitts is six foot six and 250 pounds, can line up as a tight end or as your ex-receiver or anywhere in between. So what do you do with that? Um, Drake London is, what, 6'4", 215. Cordero Patterson is a running back that can beat anybody in the pass game outside of a cornerback on your defense. And then Marcus Mariota comes in, lets you run, read option looks, RPOs. Like, they just have so many ways to cause you pain as a defense before you even get to, like, trying to stop whatever it is they're actually running on that given play. So I think this Falcons offense might actually end up looking quite good, and they have the players to cause teams like that problems. But their offensive line sucks. <laughs> yeah, but you hide that I know, so much I, I by you, all the stuff with Mariota and all the you know the option looks and that kind of thing. I think, I mean, that's like that's the thing that was so amazing about Miami's offense last year, right? They had a historically terrible offensive line that was being protected oh, yeah. by RPOs and all those kinds of things. Um, one thing that continues to this has been like an ongoing storyline with the Bucks offense since Tom Brady arrived, which is they're unbelievably efficient using play action, but don't use it a lot. Um, And that continued in week one. I was curious to, you know, again, incredible off of play action, but only used it on 70% of dropbacks. I do wonder perhaps is that some of that has to do with that new interior offensive line, but like, I feel like that's still an area that they can, a dial that Byron Leftwich can crank against the Saints defense. And look, I still think the Saints defense is good. I want to be clear. Um, I had them as a top five defense when I was doing my rankings. Didn't love losing C.J. Gardner-Johnson, but there's, it's still an incredibly strong secondary um, and, and linebacker group and obviously up front too. But I guess I, I'm just a little bit shook by watching them get ran on, in, in part because, Sam, the Bucks' rushing attack looks really – I mean, granted, they got to go against the Cowboys' defensive line that I think is going to be bad against the run all year. But – Lenny looks good, man. The blocking looks fine. Like they, it still looks like a very good rushing team. Yeah, and I think they're going to want to lean into that as mm-hmm. well. Like they, they do have weaknesses in that offensive line now, even more so if Donovan Smith is either not able to go or only able to go, but you know, nursing a bad arm. They're going to want to protect that offensive line more than they usually do, and that means run the ball. Also, you know, the one area that we know, like if you're down a couple of receivers. Mike Evans is still there, but he's maybe not 100%. We already know that Marshawn Lattimore can take Mike Evans out of the game completely. It, it happens every, every time. time they play. Every time. So all of a sudden, you're just you're, you're running out of options pretty quickly. All right. You're, so you're, about, you're almost talking me down, except for one more thing. 
which is in all we I've spent listen I work at the World War Leader I spent the last three days talking about the Cowboys I feel like somehow it has escaped I don't know the discourse that part of the reason the Cowboys offense looks so goddamn terrible is that the Bucks defense looked incredible uh, yeah. I, you know, you right. Like that, like that's, I, do you agree with me? Like, I feel like people like the Bucks secondary being healthy is awesome. Yeah, no, it's absolutely a factor. Like we forget how good that defense can be when it's on its game. Um, and they were on their game against, uh, Dallas. Absolutely. And I don't think they're not every defense in the NFL would have made Dallas's offense look that bad. Even, even with the deal with the issues they're dealing with, you know, the receivers and the, the offensive line injuries and stuff like there's still enough talent that that offense should have been able to function. But the Bucks have so much talent everywhere. Like this defense is legit. And when they're all healthy, it's one of the better units in the league. How do you feel that they match up with New Orleans? Um, pretty well. I think they're one of the teams that does have enough horses when it comes to the secondary, when it comes to those corners, because all of a sudden, We've gone from talking about New Orleans as having maybe the worst wide receiver room in the NFL to having one of yes. the best. Like Michael Thomas coming back, Chris Olave added to the, the mix, um, like Jarvis Landry. People always want to crap on Jarvis Landry, but the guy is a good wide yeah, receiver who can good. win in a bunch of different ways and cause problems. So all of a sudden that becomes one of the best wide receiver groups in the league. But the Bucks are one of the few teams that actually have as many defensive backs as you have wide receivers and can go toe-to-toe with that yeah I you know I um I completely agree I I just think boy uh the combination of Winfield Davis Dean it, I I don't know I kind of felt like they were kind of a little bit slept on maybe going into the season it's not to do the straw man thing as far as secondaries go but um I, like again, like we we spent so much time. Ah, oh, the Cowboys, their passing attack sucks, and you know they, they they're out of sync. And Ceedee Lamb stinks. Well, he stunk in part because of the intensely great coverage. And um, you know something I thought that was interesting in Week One was they really they were almost entirely. I think I pulled this somewhere in their sub packages. Okay, eighty percent of the time. So so they were in yeah base. Okay. And um, they seem to be counting on more and more a limited group of defensive linemen to stop the run because they have the bodies to do so. And so I think against New Orleans, you're going to see there, there's a little bit of like a evolution there where the, the Bucks are willing to sit back more and put more bodies in coverage um, and basically dare New Orleans to run the ball. And, I, and, and normally I'd say, well, you know, that's a little bit, concerning even against a really really stout bucks run defense but i guess coming off of this game where like the new orleans rushing attack didn't even look good against atlanta i feel like that's absolutely the right approach and also when you look at you know what that the starting interior looks yes. like i mean they right now have akeem hicks and vita vea just like 900 pounds of brick wall that you're just not running against like they are perfectly happy to throw those two guys out there and say all right, we'll we'll play a little bit more coverage because you're not running up the middle on this. How do you feel about Jameis? Jameis Heatcheck. Oh, Jameis is Jameis. Like people, I don't understand. People keep expecting something different from Jameis Winston. 
You know, like every year. It's like maybe this is the year Jameis completely transforms who he is and we see a different player and you know, all this kind of stuff. Or maybe you just get only the high-end variants of Jameis. Or like Jameis is Jameis. He's the single most volatile quarterback in the NFL. You, you talked about that with Carson Wentz. Like Jameis Winston is literally both ends of the spectrum. He's sort of top three in the NFL throughout his NFL career. Like percentage of positively graded plays, percentage of negatively graded plays, and nothing in the middle. You either get good or bad. And the only question is, you know, in a small sample size game of 40 dropbacks or whatever, where's that balance going to lie? They saved it all for the fourth quarter, all the good, the good, the good Jameis plays. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think maybe I just got to, I want to, I want to see in this game if some of the stuff that concerned me in, on both sides of the ball in the trenches for the Saints look better. Um, if the protection looks better, the run blocking looks better, and then if they're able to gin up more of a pass rush and if they can stop the Bucks on the ground. Just because I think that was the biggest shock to me about week one, even though I think the Saints' skill players are awesome. I think in the fourth quarter, Jameis looked amazing. I still think the Saints have an incredible secondary. But I just want to see up front on both sides if week one was a little bit fluky. Um, and if it was, then I think I'll walk I'll, – because the skill players are so good, I think I'll walk it back a little bit and you know put them back. Like I, I mean, I, I thought they were a wild guard team. I just think – you know, to go back to what I said at the beginning, a lot of my colleagues had them winning the division, which I, I didn't agree with. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I still have the Bucks in this game, but you've convinced me that it could be a little bit closer than... <laughs> I, I do I do as well. Like, I, the Saints' interior, their offensive line, mm. is a problem now. Yeah. Like, they, they, they'd miss on Cesar Ruiz as a pick. Like he's been bad since he's been a starter for that team. Um, and I think the pick was good process, like the the sort of projecting yeah. forward when you would need him, all those kinds of things. It made sense. He just hasn't been good. Andrus Pete has had below average to bad PFF grades for like four straight years. I don't understand why he got given a big contract in the first place. Like the interior of that offensive line right now is a liability, and that's that's going to lead to them struggling in the run game. And it's going to lead to some more, you know, what was that Jameis play? Shaq Barrett looked really good week one. That's something that jumped out to me, too, because he's kind of up and down in that defense. I thought the linebackers looked really good, too. I don't know, man. I The Bucs, to me, look like the clear, like they have the best defense in the NFC, and it's pretty clear, but maybe it'll be famous last words. Um, Okay, let's get into the mud. Let's just dive right in to the slosh. Well, the slosh would be the Bears... Nine, or the Niners based on last week. But the mud is where I have the Colts and the Jags. This, I'm going to say like a really sports TV thing. This feels like a must win for the Colts. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> no. I mean, look, if you if you tie with the Texans and lose to the Jags in your first two games, like, what are you doing? I mean, you're not going anywhere this season. People are going to melt now, down I guess. if that happens. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess maybe Tennessee could drop their second game and all of a sudden you haven't even lost any ground in the division. But it it pretty much says immediately that you can kiss goodbye any chance of contending in a year where the rest of the AFC went crazy in the offseason and loaded up with insane talent. And, you know, teams like the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs exist. Yeah, I think with the Colts, it's like, okay, can we win the division or can we actually win a playoff game? And this is where, like, we're yeah. going to start to, like, get a sense of that. Because you're right, you're like... 
it, it, I mean, all of the AFC favorites look so damn good, except for the Colts. I mean, what was your biggest takeaway from Indianapolis week one? Um, I think, I think the Texans kind of exposed some weak areas in that roster. Mm. You know, I, I, it was a surprise to me that they tied or that they were winning the game and, and should have won maybe. I thought predicting that game, you kind of looked at a couple of areas and like, you know, the Texans actually match up reasonably well in a couple of spots. They could cause the Colts some problems, but I thought that was like, you know, whilst losing by 10 points. Mm. Um, but actually, you look at it and the Colts do have some issues. They, they weren't able to handle some of what the Texans were throwing at them. Their defense, um, it just it's not the same group when you don't have uh, a Shaquille Barrett, um, or it's not Shaquille Barrett, Shaquille uh, Leonard, mm-hmm, there mm-hmm. we go, making all those plays mm-hmm. and creating turnovers from nothing and you know manufacturing drives that, that, that they're not giving up. And when he's not there, you're, there's not that much sort of impact talent on that defense. So offensively, as a Matt Ryan stan, it, pain, it, yes. it pains me to say he didn't look great. However, as a Matt Ryan stan, no, as an objective <laughs> analyst, there, there, the stuff around him was not ideal. Um, and I think that was, to me, I walked away thinking like, oh, man, like, one, outside of Pittman Jr., it's not great. It's not great, Sam. Uh which yeah. we all knew, I, I like we knew, but I think we had like convinced ourselves maybe Alec Pierce is a day one impact player, and you know he'll be better. He's not going to have those that that you know those drops again. I mean, the, this they would have won if not for a couple of stupid drops and a missed kicks. But um, and then the other thing was the protection. Uh, you know, I think we just kind of have been assuming for a while, like locking in the Colts as having like a great offensive line when that's just not really the case anymore. They're still good players, but um, I thought both tackle positions, there were issues. I guess they, they went back and forth between Pryor and the the Austrian guy uh, for a while. So Probably. we'll see where that pans out. But, um, you know, the, the pass blocking, it's maybe better than Atlanta, but it's not. It's definitely not elite. And... Matt Ryan can help with that to some degree, but it definitely makes life more difficult. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, as far as the Jags defense goes, a lot of issues there we can talk about, coverage, um, the run defense, but they can get after it up front, and I could see that being a problem in this game. Yeah, um, I think you're right that, yeah, the offensive line just isn't what it was. Um, Braden Smith, I think, is, is a pretty good right tackle, but he, he did have a rough day against the Texans. Um, and Matt Ryan has just become this fascinating player now. Like, last season, he had five games with a PFF grade above 80, which is, and a couple of them were above 90, like five games that were really, really good. But he also had five or six games that were in, like, the 40s and the 50s. He reminds me a lot right now of, the sort of the tail end of Philip Rivers' career, mm. where you were either getting really good Philip Rivers or pretty bad Philip Rivers and almost nothing in the middle. Um, and I think it also reminds me of him in that I think the the deeper guys like that get into their career, and by guys like that I mean statues, um, the deeper those guys get into their career, the more they need an offensive line in front of them. So they're still capable of making all the throws. They're still capable of having great games, of leading a really good offense. 
but the older they are, the more it is dependent on having good offensive line and good pass protection in front of them. And that, I think, was sort of clear the last days of Rivers with the Chargers and his, his year with the Colts. And I think it's becoming true with Matt Ryan as well, right at the time that that Colts offensive line isn't quite capable of giving him that every week. How do you feel that they match up with Jacksonville? I mean, I alluded to the pass rush, I think, being a potential issue because I do think, look, Jacksonville's defense was really up and down against Washington, much like Washington offense was up and down, obviously. Um, but I do think, like, Walker, Trevon Walker, he obviously made that incredible interception, but, you know, again, up and down. Um, the rest of that defensive line just a little bit up and down. They have like the speed and the talent up front, I think, to cause problems, but they sort of lack the consistency at this point that I think you need to really be worried about them week to week. Yeah, I think they've, I mean, they've obviously spent so many resources on pass rusher yeah. in particular. I mean, Josh Allen, a first round pick, Caleb on Chase on a first round pick. Um, obviously, Trayvon Walker, the number one overall pick. They added Arden Key, who's who's got some juice as well. Like they've assembled this group that are that should be dominant if they'd all panned out. They haven't, but now enough of them, I think, are at least good that they're dangerous. You know, like Josh Allen, I think, has become a good mm-hmm. player, even if he isn't necessarily a, a world beater or a you know a dominant force. Trayvon Walker is going to be a work in project or a work in progress, but there is a lot to be said for being literally a singular unique athlete at that position like all the people that everyone wanted to compare him to pre-draft you know is he the next Danell Hunter or, or whatever like picking whatever sort of athletic super freak you want and saying well that's the next guy he's going to be it does a disservice to the fact that we've literally never seen his athletic makeup before never there has never been a guy that has that complete a skill set and a physical tool chest between size, length, speed, change of direction, everything. Like, all of it was, you know, 95th percentile plus or whatever. So, even if he has no idea what he's doing, there's something to be said for... A right tackle has never blocked that guy before. Like, literally never gone up against a guy with that composite of physical talents. And... We kind of saw that week one. Like, that interception was a great athletic play. His sack was a spectacular athletic play, the likes of which wasn't really on his Georgia college tape, but it was also his only pressure of the game. Like, that's probably what we're going to get from Trayvon Walker for a while is it's not going to be consistent, and it it might be going missing for long periods of the game, but there are going to be a couple of plays a game where he shows up and just reminds you that he's a super freak of an athlete. Away from my microphone. I think what struck me about the Jaguars week one is they didn't look that different from last year. I don't. Uh. I don't think that's just the defense. Yeah, and that's I mean, this is yeah. That's about. What I'm segueing here. Trevor I'm segueing offense. Looks basically the same. The same. You the know? same. I mean, like <sighs> Devin Lloyd, their other first round pick. Devin Lloyd spent almost the entire game visibly having no idea what he was doing. Yeah, like. Um, Olakun spent the yeah, entire game, but he like he spent the entire game trying to get Devin Lloyd lined up right. Like every pre-snap, he's slapping him, you know, moving him a, a, a sideways in a gap. He's like telling him where to go. I mean, it's hard enough playing linebacker in the NFL when you just have to deal with your own stuff, let alone trying to get the rookie in the right place. So, offensively, 
I guess it was just kind of similar to what I saw last year, which was protection issues, some bad decision makings, some bouts of inaccuracy, some really good throws. Um, I thought the run game looked good. Uh, you know, the there some misses. I uh, I guess I'm, I was trying to think like what's different, and I think the things that look different. Well, at first of all, I thought Christian Kirk was really good and looked like you can see how productive he is going to be out of the slot in this offense. Um, some of that I think has to do with Washington secondary being bad, but I, I, I do think he's a very good player. ETN looks explosive. James Robinson coming out of an injury looks really, really good. But by and large, like I don't, I'm trying to like see, okay, what is the path for like significant improvement over last year? And it wasn't a terrible Lawrence game, you know, but it didn't feel like, like, I guess there, there was so much like hype about this hype, maybe is the wrong word, but there were a lot of expectations for this unit to be significantly improved. And to me, it just didn't, it didn't look significantly improved, only slightly improved. Yeah. I mean, if you were expecting that simply getting rid of Urban Meyer and bringing in any other coach was going to have an immediate transformative effect on this offense. It didn't, you know, it looks broadly the same. Maybe it's just a slightly less hateful environment to come to work every day for everybody involved. Um, my, let me ask you a question. Where are you on the panic meter for Trevor Lawrence? Bearing in mind, you know, we aren't just talking about just another quarterback prospect. Trevor Lawrence was billed as the next greatest prospect since, you know, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, John Elway. Like, we're talking genuinely generational, and there's been almost no evidence of that so far. Yeah, I'm not panicking because it's week one, and I do feel like a lot of people that you have to really throw out a lot of year one because of how dysfunctional the environment was. But I'll tell you this. If he looks like you did in week one, halfway through the season, I would be very anxious. Not because I think he's a bad quarterback, but because, as you said, it would not correspond to the expectations that I had for him coming out of college. And look, this isn't a good, like I said, it's not a good offensive line. They allowed the most or the highest pressure rate um, versus a standard rush, or second highest, pardon me, standard rush of any team in the NFL. The Giants had the worst. Um, he was hit 10 times. Uh, I think there were some drops. I don't, you know, I think all of which to say is like, it's not like he's being, you know, put in Buffalo or whatever, but yeah. he just misses throws, man. Like I, I just, I, I don't know. It's weird. It's just, this is just like these occasional bouts of inaccuracy that I just don't really understand. Um, it's like he can do the really hard things, but then sometimes can't do the really easy things consistently. Uh, and I think until he figures that out, the, he doesn't do the hard things enough to make those, that inconsistency yeah. feel okay. That to me is the biggest thing. It's like, if you're going to come with that kind of billing, I would like to see more, even if you're like, you can still be as inconsistent as hell or the, you know, a lot of bad plays, but if you're at least showing me regularly the upside, like a lot of people compared it to Peyton Manning's first year. You know, Peyton Manning leads the league in interceptions his first year, sets the record, right, for, for picks. But not a single soul was worried about Peyton Manning at the end of his rookie year. 
I was like, yeah, he just led the league in interceptions, but he'll be good. You know, we he, he showed more than enough for us to be confident in that. He just had to learn where the line is in the NFL. I, I'm, we're not getting the same impression from Trevor Lawrence. Obviously, it's a different game now than then, but he, he was like 25th in big-time throw rate last year. He made a big play about as often as Taylor Heineke and Sam Darnold. I mean, that's just not the range you need to see from him. So I think in this particular game, we, t- we talked a little bit about the Colts' defense. I definitely think there are some matchup advantages for Jacksonville. Um, I am a little bit concerned about the pass rush. I, I actually, I thought Quiddy Pay uh, jumped out, uh, you know, and I think that's a big, for the Colts' defense to improve, for the Colts to contend, that, that's a huge thing that needs to happen for them. Um, and yeah. I think if he has a big day against the aforementioned, like, bad Jacksonville offensive line, that could lead to some pretty unfortunate drives for Lawrence. But I also think, like, they should be able to run the ball on them. There should be with – Leonard's still out, obviously, right? He's still out. I think so, I yeah. so, yeah. So there should be – I think they should be able to scheme up some pretty good opportunities for ETN. Um, but, yeah, I just kind of – like, for me, what I want to see from Lawrence versus this defense is more – I don't even really need to see, like, the explosives. I just want to see him hit the gimmies consistently and then not put the ball in harm's way. Yeah, that that Jacksonville offensive line, I think, is actually a problem. Like, it's actively bad as opposed to just not great. Um, and I, You're right, the Colts, there's a lot of sort of lacking talent on that defense, but DeForest Buckner obviously is a force on the interior. Quiddy Pay had a really good game and I think has the ability to disrupt consistently in a game. Yannick Ngakwe is super one-dimensional, but it's it's a dimension that will cause problems in a game like this when you have a weak offensive line. So I think specifically that Colts defensive front can really mess up Jacksonville's offense. Yeah. They actually did a good job in run defense against Houston. I just think, I don't know. I was, I was encouraged by what I saw from the Jacksonville running backs. So we'll see. Colts, it's do or die time. Jags just need to look better. All right, after the break, let's talk about another second-year quarterback who had a bit of an up-and-down week one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Which quarterback do you think I'm talking? I was alluding to. Uh, 
Mac Jones? No. Uh, actually, all the second-year quarterbacks kind of struggled now that I think about it, huh? Yeah, yeah. dang. I guess that's a theme because it really could have been any of them. Um, let's start with Seahawks Niners uh, and Trey Lance. Like, Look, uh, I'm going to say the same thing for Lance that about Fields, which is I really think you can't draw too many conclusions from week one. Watched that game pretty closely. It looked disgusting. Just total slot fest out there. But I, you know, there's definitely reason to be concerned. Um, with him, he made some bad decisions. Although I thought the interception by Eddie Jackson, we're talking about the Bears, was really, really a great play by Jackson. Uh, you know, some inaccurate throws. I think unlike we're, we're talking about Lawrence, I think Lance also made some really special throws in this game. Uh, but what really threw me, I mentioned this on NFL Live, Sam, is something that I think might have been an underrated storyline coming to this season, which is the San Francisco offensive line is a problem. Do you feel the same way? Uh, I think it certainly can be. I, to me, that the weather in that game was such an absolute mess. I almost want to pretend the game didn't happen. Fair. You know, totally I just think it's fair. so hard to get anything useful from weather that severe. And I don't even just mean rain, but like any weather that is that severe I think the sort of the learnings you can get from the game are almost non-existent. Like you just accept that it happened. Some team dealt with it better than the other and you move on. Um, But yeah, it's even on paper heading into the year, like forget what we saw in that one game. You just sort of look at what the personnel is now when they let Lake and Tomlinson go. And you know, now what, what that looks like, it had the recipe to be a problem, Mm. you know, going into the year. So I can absolutely buy that it will become a problem. And that, that does kind of mess up everything that, you know, the, sh- the whole Shanahan system yes. does. Yes, on the interior. I, I guess we talked about it, you know. I was like, uh, who's Jake Brentel? What? How much football has he played? Like, I, you know, we, like, knew it would be a thing. And, and, and guard has been a problem for them for a while, obviously, with Brunskill and then, you know. Aaron Banks, but boy, it does, you're right, it just changes so much of what they can do, and so much of why the way they were supposed to be able to do with uh, Trey Lance in particular in that power running yeah. game. Um, and I think for this particular matchup, I actually, I don't, I think you have to throw the game out the window in terms of how bad it was, but I also think it was like a really crappy version of what we should expect from Lance, which is some really special deep balls, He's so good on those crossers and then some inaccurate throws over the middle of the field and then the designed running game. Um, and now you're going up against a Seattle defense that, like, I think you sh- he ought to be able to exploit deep. Certainly, you know, Seattle's a very young secondary. Now they don't have Jamal Adams, which we can talk about. But I kinda, maybe this is a bit of an overreaction, but I actually think the Seahawks pass rush could give them some problems. Yeah, I, this is actually a fascinating game, I think. Um, the We're going to get a much better read on how big of a problem the 49ers' issues are on offense, between the offensive line, between what Trey Lance brings to the table, both positive and negative. And I, you're right, as much as I want to throw that game out, I do think it's probably a, reasonable accurate, a reasonably accurate representation of the kind of Trey Lance game you're going to get. A couple of special plays, you know, some some misses every now and again, and then one bad play and the question is you know does that bad play come at the wrong time does it is it is it enough to derail everything else that they're doing on offense are they struggling enough that the one bad play sinks the ship um 
But yeah, Seattle's defensive front can really mess with that uh, 49ers offensive line, which at this point is like one superstar and then at least three question marks and maybe a fourth. Um, Elijah Mitchell, I should mention, is also out. Debo Samuel got eight carries in this game for 52 yards. I have to think they're just going to spam him at this point. And whatever bonuses he gets for those carries he's going to collect, I don't remember what the contract said. But by far, like, there's the explosives, but then if you want to talk about, like, what can they do on, uh, to generate either explosive runs or just those, I, I think, to, like, keep the chains moving at early downs, he is the answer right now, especially with George Kittle being somewhat banged up. So that's something I think Seattle's going to have to really prepare for is just, like, a healthy, healthy dose of Debo Samuel. Um, I want to be clear. I don't think the Seattle defense is, like, great. <laughs> um, I think... I would. I thought there were some things that I thought were encouraging versus Denver. I thought Uchenna Nwosu looked really good. Um, yeah. And yeah, so that's something that I think possibly could continue. Um, I was a little bit skeptical of that, you know, can he really be like a number one? He was mostly a situational guy and, uh, you know, in Los Angeles. And I think he actually looks like uh, he has the potential to be the best pass rusher in Seattle. Uh, I thought Jordan Brooks also looks good um and i think the young corners like you know there's just gonna be ups and downs man like you know they're it's so young and they're just really counting on Tariq woolen who i thought by the way was an okay game against Cortland sutton uh michael jackson kobe bryant so many incredible names they just really need them to develop and develop quickly but i don't think this is the game in which they're going to be a huge problem because of the inconsistency from lance um they're probably, like I said, I think they're going to get beat for like two or three crazy deep balls, but I'm not sure if I expect that to be like a, you know, for it to be as much of a problem as when they faced more consistent passing attacks. Yeah, I think it depends if they can kind of stitch together the middle of the field enough that yeah. they don't leave it wide the hell open for a few big plays. But I think collectively between Nuosu um, the rest of the pass rushers that they have, Quentin Jefferson had a ton of pressure in that game. Daryl Taylor can, can chip in. Like They have enough up front that they can get after the 49ers offensive line and, and cause them more stress that way. So where are you on Geno? So I said a couple of weeks ago that I'm Geno curious. <laughs> and I, I remain Geno curious. I, I think I before... Before the preseason, I would have said that the idea that Geno Smith can be like a good NFL starter is kind of silly. Like It just doesn't make sense. And I wasn't buying last year. I don't think he played that well last mm -hmm. year. I think the numbers looked a little bit better than he actually played. And it's been, you know, so many years since he started the last time. And, and even then, it was like a couple of flash games and everything else was pretty bad. So it, it just didn't make any sense to me. But he looked really good in preseason. And I thought he looked really damn good against the the Broncos as well. So I'm kind of, I just want to see more of him. Like, I'm really intrigued by the idea that this guy can languish on the bench for so many years and then kind of show up and just be a dramatically better quarterback than he ever was before, albeit a guy that always had the sort of the talent to put that together. I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm really buying into the story at this point. I think you saw... You saw, first of all, the first half was like the ideal Geno Smith performance. And I think 
you saw also like what their vision for this offense really what probably their vision was when they hired Shane Waldron but they couldn't execute because Russell Wilson doesn't fit into that kind of offense uh can be right which is um efficient on play action the ball's coming out quick you can even boot him he can move a little bit he's going to hit the tight ends over the middle he's hangs tough in the pocket all of that stuff my concern in this game is where Geno struggles is when he's pressured, although he was actually pretty good in the first half, then things kind of fall apart in the second half last week. Um, he kind of lacks a sense for pressure and also makes bad decisions. And I think the Niners four-man rush is going to be a problem for these rookie tackles, who I thought looked okay, but... I think that is my biggest concern, I think, coming into this one. It's also, I think, because, you know, again, the last game, the Bears-Niners game, was a bit of a, a slap fest. But the, the Niners' defense was, it was a weird performance because the first half they looked exactly like the group I think we all expected. Super dominant front four, improved secondary. And then they just fell apart because of, like, basically a couple coverage busts and then a total lack of discipline. So are, is that going to happen again? You know what I mean? Like, that would be my big question um, because I, candidly, I kind of don't think it will. Yeah, I, I definitely think that Nick Bosa in particular is going to really test those rookie tackles. And he moves around now both sides of the line. So, like, they're going to both experience the Nick Bosa effect. And, you know, like, I think Charles Cross, I, I think people sort of run to the impression that he had a really bad game because two of the plays were sacks, you know, to, to Bradley Chubb. And it wasn't great, but it was four pressures and two of them were sacks. So like, I think Charles Cross is, is going to be a pretty good player even right away. I think he'll be a pretty good rookie, but it's a totally different level. I mean, Bradley Chubb, as much as he was a high draft pick, has never really done an awful lot in the NFL and has never really been a productive pass rusher even when he's been healthy. Nick Bosa is a totally yes. different type of, like a totally different proposition. So all of a sudden... You know, Cross is probably going to give up some pressure. Abraham Lucas is going to get tested in a way he didn't see much of. Yeah, that, like, you know, every week you look across the league and there's a few individual one-on-one -on -one matchups in the trenches that you think this is a big enough mismatch that it can completely mm. transform the game, you know, that it can change everything. This is one of those that kind of fits into that category. They need to help him. <laughs> like oh, yeah, and then the Bears did that. Yeah. Like, in addition to the conditions, you know, making life a nightmare for any kind of pass rusher. Like, the Bears had extra blockers in the yeah. direction of Nick Bosa every single play, no matter which side he lined yeah. up on. And the, the Seahawks, like, Bull Disley can block. Um, they've got, I think, some guys who can help out there. Actually, some of their running backs, too, are decent at run block. By the way, the shot Penny, he... <laughs> He looks awesome. He looks as awesome as he did at the end of last season. So I expect to see a fair amount of him as well in terms of, you know, trying to neutralize that pass rush. Hopefully more of that than the screen game, which looked absolutely awful. Um, but, you know, see, just to wrap up, this is the Niners are favored by nine and a half. Uh, that, that feels high. I am amazed that the line is right? as big as that. I, I thought that uh, earlier when I was writing about it. Like, you can make a pretty compelling argument that the Seahawks are going to go into this game with the better quarterback. Like, you know, that immediately makes makes a nine-and-a-half-point spread seem kind of crazy, no? Oh, man. I'm not going to touch that quarterback take. But, yeah, the <laughs> certainly was a better quarterback we won. I'll say that. Um I'm trying to be, you're Gino curious. I'm trying to be Gino reasonable about this season. Uh, and I'm, I've hold on, I'm holding on to it. I was, 
I was very, Dominique, who I had on Tuesday, tried to lure me into being optimistic about the Seahawks. I held him off. I'm going to keep my skepticism posed, but, you know, there's, there's, there's some fun things to watch. That's all. Um, okay. Let's just go to the other quarterback who was on the other side of that slot fest, Justin Fields, playing the Green Bay Packers. But I, w- I actually want to start with the Packers because, uh, you know, I, coming off a game where, I, I mean, that's, well, I was getting it. I would say it's like one of the worst offensive performances, but they're coming off of their worst offensive performances. So in some ways, it was just kind of like a continuation of what we saw in the playoffs. But I also found it a little bit surprised. I mean, were you surprised by their offensive game plan? Um, yeah, a little bit. I, I think it's 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 so hard to um, to talk about them because they have these games like yes. this every now and again, and it's they. It seems like uncharacteristic but characteristic at the same time like they just have this tendency of dropping a game like this where you're like what why does this happen and (laughs) and why if it's going to happen why does it not happen more consistently than it does it's just this weird collection of these games and it's a it's always apparent really early on that it's going to be one of those games you know and i think the second you know they they blew the chance to to answer right at the start it's like oh okay we're going to get one of those games again. And then we just it just settles into this repetition process. I think the offensive line was as big of a problem as the lack of wide receivers. We spent so much time talking about the wide receivers, right? And obviously that was a huge problem because if Christian Watson catches that pass, we're having a slightly different conversation about this game maybe. I don't know. But in terms of like the continuation of what you saw last year, Aaron Rodgers last year – was not good under pressure. He was rarely pressured. Uh, and in this game, he was under pressure a fair amount against what, what should be a pretty good Vikings pass rush all year. And he, when he was pressured, it was bad. Um, one for seven, 23 yards, negative 7.3% CPOE. Uh, when, he was, you know, when he was on the move, he looked really uncomfortable too. And he was trying to get the ball out fairly quick, but... Um, and this is where I think the skill players come in as well. Like, they're, you know, you, you just don't have guys, you don't have a Devontae Adams anymore, who's not only your deep yeah. threat, but also your safety blanket, the guy you can put on those RPOs, the guy you can run screens with, the guy you can turn little hitches into first downs. Like, he's gone, and there's no one like that. And I think what surprised me about the game plan, I, we spent the whole season talking about, like, oh, they're going to pound the rock, or they're going to have the both backs on the field. That didn't really happen in this game like they didn't really do either of those things um and some of that was you know script i guess but yeah they weren't getting killed i i I don't know i i was a little bit surprised that the backs weren't used more both in the running and the passing game yeah it's such an interesting relationship the sort of receivers versus pass protection thing because um when the quarterback doesn't trust any of the receivers he's going to play worse behind the same caliber offensive line, even independent of like the receivers being good or not. Like he's just going to play worse because he doesn't trust where they're going to be with the ball. And I don't think that was helped by, you know, pass one to Christian Watson, drop touchdown later in the game, like speed out to Christian Watson, doesn't get his head around in time and just sort of sticks out an arm for a pass. that should have been a first down. Like you're trying to get in, in Aaron Rodgers' good books. You're trying to get, the trust of a guy who's very hard to, to, to make trust 
early in your NFL career as a receiver, and he went in the, the wrong direction in two different plays. Um, so Rodgers is now dealing with an offensive line that's missing a couple, missing its two best players um, and isn't going to be as good. But he also knows that if he has to make a snap decision, like if pressure shows up from uh, somebody losing their block one-on-one, he no longer has like the, the safety, the comfort level of knowing where a guy's going to be and when. You know, when you, when you trust the receivers, when you get under pressure, you know, okay, fine, I just make the adjustment, here's my guy, like, let's make that pass. Now he has to think about it. And it's like when the Patriots, at the end of the Tom Brady reign, when they had no receivers that could get open. Mm. It didn't just make the offensive line look worse, which it did, but it made Brady look worse generally. It then made Brady look worse under pressure, which in turn made the offensive line look worse because the pressure was a more obvious problem because when the pressure arrived, Brady still didn't have anywhere to go with the ball. So I think the problem with things like a bad wide receiver room and an offensive line that starts to creak is that they're they're compounding problems. Yes. Like one totally. intensifies the other and the whole thing ends up looking way worse. So David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, and Alan Zard are all back at practice. I think we're going to see a very different Packers team when these guys are playing. I don't know when David, I, like, I don't, I don't ever want to, uh, the Bakhtiari thing has been so weird. I don't want to like put him back um, on the field until I actually see him on the field. Like, I'm just not going to believe it, you know what yeah. I mean, until he actually plays because this thing has dragged on for so long. And, you know, all these guys are practicing again, but I don't know with who's going to play or whatever. But when, at least when Jenkins comes back, to your point, I, I think getting the offensive line back in place will really mitigate some of these issues with wide receiver. And, you know, we saw we saw some stuff from Dobbs. I think, you know, he'll get better as well, but... I don't know. I, I, I think I, I, I watching this, I think that's like the worst we'll see them play. But I also think it actually did dent my like, well, I didn't actually, I have the Bucks in the Super Bowl, but I think it really dented the like, wow, the Packers are clearly like the cream of the NFC. Uh, even with some of those guys back, I think there's still going to be some challenges all year, unless they are the team that gets OBJ, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, defensively, I had them way overranked <laughs> this offseason. However, I think Minnesota's going to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. And I think this defense is going to come out in this game against, I'm sorry, Justin Fields, who, by the way, I thought made some really, really cool plays despite the horrible circumstances last week. I think they're going to absolutely just dominate this game. Yeah, well, for a start, I think the game plan should be less suicidal than it was last week. I think that's going to help. And obviously the Bears don't have a Justin Jefferson. That's also going to help. Um, but, like, you know, they have the horses to match up with players like that, and they just didn't do it. Instead, they were like, no, we'll just play we do. the defense. Yeah. yeah, we'll play the defense, and if he ends up getting covered by a guy wearing number 91, so be it. Like, that's – you know the way, like, offensive – players get up to the line of scrimmage you see something you don't like you call timeout because we can't run this play let's get out of it like if if i saw that on defense i would be calling timeout but that was the game plan consistently like all of his big plays they didn't come against like elite corners they came against adrian amos or linebackers like that that just isn't going to work so i think they're going to be in a much better situation because the bears don't have one of those players but also I think they're probably going to have some adjustments off the back of that and realize that 
what they were doing can be exploited a little bit too much. And yeah, like fundamentally, the talent level of this defense is still absurd. Um, a couple of question marks I had going into the season, like Devondre Campbell had like an all pro yeah. season last year. But if you looked at every other year of his career, it's like, where the hell did that come from? Um, at least in week one, it looked like it's going to continue as long as he's in Green Bay's defense. So I think that's huge for them. Quay Walker was a, a pick that was kind of maligned a little mm-hmm. bit by, you know, analytics people or anyone that, that sort of watched his college tape closely. It was more of an athlete pick than a good player pick, but he was all over the field before he got hurt. Um, led the team in, in defensive stops despite playing like a little bit more than half the snaps of the other guys. So, yeah, I think they've got too much talent to get wrecked like that every single week. I think that Chicago, the deep passing game is what is most special about it, right? And well, this is a good running team also, but I think like they I could see them Maybe it's just the last memory I have of watching um, Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage is them getting inexplicably split by Justin Jefferson. <laughs> but uh, I could see them taking advantage of that downfield, but I question this Bears offensive line, their ability to hold up against the Green Bay pass rush. Um, yeah. I just, I know that's, I think that would be the overreaction coming out of the slot fest would be that, wow, you know, they managed to. I mean, well, actually, the 49ers pass rush did bother Justin Fields a lot. But I don't th- – I, I, this Bears offensive line, our pass block win rate has them so high, and I just don't get it. Like, I just watched them, and I just don't get it. Um, I just think it's – I mean, so does – yeah, so does the PFF grading. Like, they the, – the guy – they didn't give up that much pressure. Um, but, you I, again, you can't underestimate how much of that was the sloth yeah. and the fact that they dedicated extra help everywhere. Right. So – you know, if you wanted to have a takeaway of that game, you'd be like, oh, maybe that Chicago Bears offensive line is actually better than we thought it was. I agree with you. I suspect in this game, we're about to be reminded pretty conclusively that no, it is in fact that bad. I would run the ball a lot. Green Bay always, I mean, the, in this current, well, really, actually, it's been their style for a while has been essentially seeding the run with their personnel. And I think Chicago does have the potential to run the ball on them and I try to avoid, you know, really long third downs for Justin Fields. Um, keep Aaron Rodgers off the field, obviously. But I don't think that I, this feels like there's a few games where it's like teams that got upset then facing inferior opponents. And you're like, Ooh, this is, they're going to like, this is going to be the rebound game. This feels like that to me. Um, Vegas yeah. has them at eight and a half. That feels about right honestly. Yeah, I, I think Chicago's just way overmatched in this one. Um, I really like what they're doing on offense with Justin Fields. I think they're playing a, a system, they're playing a scheme that actually tries to help him as opposed to last year, which is like, no, you're going to run the scheme, and if you don't survive, that's that's your problem, not ours. Um, they're rolling him out. They're limiting his reads. You know, They're giving him help. They're chipping guys. They're taking care of the the edge rusher to his side on the rollout to make sure that he isn't just getting buried 10 yards behind the line of scrimmage immediately. Like, they're doing smart things. But, A, you, they don't have the talent. Like, that offensive line, I think, is going to be a problem. And, B, the bad parts of Justin Fields' game are still there. And those are only going to get magnified, you know, against a much better defense. All right, let's wrap with another, another grimy game. 
Patriots Steelers. Who do you think's favored? You might already know. I it's close, huh. right? It's um, close. It yeah. Tough one. Is it the Steelers? It's the Pats. And it's, so it's at wow. Pittsburgh, and the it's I'm seeing the Pats by anywhere from one and a half to two and a half. Um, Belichick respect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and no TJ Watt. I think. I mean, I actually think when you consider the no TJ Watt, it's pretty fair. Um, let's start with the that that now injured Patriots de- or Steelers defense. Pardon me. Against a New England offense that well, they picked up right where they left off this summer. I I just. <sighs> trying to think where to start here why (laughs) (laughs) why no rpos where is the play action why not do the things that you're good at that your quarterback is good at the things you have to do when you have wide receivers who cannot consistently separate can you explain any of this to me no um i think the concern I have with the Patriots offense, it's not even like everyone's obviously going to be focused on, hey, they, this, all the coaching silliness, right? Like they don't have an offensive coordinator technically. Like what is going on? You can't do that. Like that's just, that's just like legal fudging so they don't have yes. to, you know, so the, somebody else is on the hook for the majority of Matt Patricia's salary. Like that's not why. It's not a, a sort of complicated uh, zig while everybody else is zagging. Actually, coordinators are a silly waste of time. We're going to go in a completely different direction. Like, they have one. It just, the problem is it's Matt Patricia. And you're going from um, you're going from Josh McDaniels, who whatever about his head coaching ability in Denver and, and now the Raiders, like, is one of the best offense coordinators in the NFL and is a great kind of partner for a quarterback, whether it's a veteran like Tom Brady or whether it's a young quarterback like Mac Jones. And you're going from that to someone that isn't, and very isn't. And you're doing it in a year that is pretty critical for what Mac Jones is going to become at this level. Like, he really impressed as a rookie, but he impressed in the sort of same ways that we sort of knew he would be good at, you know, reading the defense, working through a progression quickly, being very accurate with the football. But now it's like, all right, that was the training wheels level. Now what have you got at the next step? Like, what are the... How many big plays can you make? How much value can you add on top of all that? And that's where you really need that coach. Um, so, like, my biggest concern is I think the talent level is fine. I think the offensive line is really good. I think the quarterback is capable of taking that step. But you sort of chop his legs out from under him with the support structure. It, I just don't know where the explosive plays are going to come from in this offense. Apparently Kendrick Bourne, who's not allowed to play. But other than that, um, which is insanely weird, uh, it was just so much of just Mac Jones kind of floating it on go balls and hoping the receivers... He went full Chad Pennington on that deep ball down the sideline. It was like, it's it's a 40-yard deep ball that I'm just going to put in the air and try and send into orbit, and hopefully it's it comes just, down in his hands. That's not his game, right? You, you just get, like, this is, he has abilities that is not one of his abilities... Um, you have to be able to set these guys up for yards after the catch, but when the offense is so predictable, I just don't see how they're going to create problems for better defenses. I, I do think 
They looked a little bit better running the ball than I might have anticipated. You know, there was so much Sturm and Drong. Sturm and Drong? Is that how you say Sturm and Drong? About the switch to the zone running scheme. And I actually thought um, it didn't look that bad to me. Uh, they, they actually kind of mixed. I saw a lot of different types of runs. But I thought the run blocking looked fine. I think the backs looked good. But um, and I think that could that's something that they could lean on in particular against the Steelers' defense. But it's just hard for me to see how they're going to really threaten defenses downfield. Yeah, particularly, you know, with the injury to the rookie, they, yes. they don't have that speed threat there to, to really scare teams. And even if they did, there's the question about whether Mac Jones has the ability to hit them, particularly with a system that's not necessarily helping him out. Um, I just think, I think across the board, this Patriots team just is not good. You know, it's not as good as it used to be or that it needs to be to contend in that division and contend in the AFC. Like, I think this may end up being maybe the worst defense that Bill Belichick has coached. And I don't I just mean as the Patriots. I mean, like, mm-hmm. ever. Um, before we get to that defense, do you have – so the Steelers' defense is now facing them without T.J. Watt. I thought they looked really good week one against Cincinnati. Um and I also thought T.J. Watt's a sensible replacement. I, I posted a clip of him. Alex Highsmith played really, really well, but he's not T.J. Watt. And yeah. I think the, my concern about the Steelers' defense is they're so superstar dependent between you know Hayward, Watt, and Fitzpatrick. Um, it's like, okay, well, if you lose one of those superstars, does it all fall apart? Like, I think the role players play well. Like, I'm like, oh, these cornerbacks are pretty good. They're, they're holding up reasonably well for most of this game. Um, some of the, you know, I guess I just worry like it's like a Jenga tower and if you take TJ Watt out of the bottom what's going to happen and even if you just you know even if those guys just don't show up one yeah. week I mean that was one of the best four or five games of Minka Fitzpatrick's career if he doesn't do that again right. you know and even if he even with that the Bengals still should have won like three times and it still required you know four or five turnovers to make happen like I, I agree. I think if, if Minka doesn't have a game like that next week, you know, against the Patriots and TJ Watt isn't there, yeah, it's it's tough to see how this defense is going to mm. be any kind of dominant force. But then it becomes a kind of like one lackluster unit against another. So I have a take. They should just start picking. Okay. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Pick it. Maybe, maybe I, not in this game because Bill Belichick is going to bring some, some yeah. you know, weirdness. So maybe wait until after. But Mitch Trubisky's still Mitch Trubisky, man. He's exactly the yeah. same. Did, did he look, in any way, did he look different to you? No, but also, like, he's he's executing the Ben Roethlisberger yes. game plan. Like, uh, his th- average time to throw was, like, dude, two seconds. That, so that, to me, was the biggest surprise. I'm like, wow, you're really not going to... Not only did they not really, like, throw downfield. I'm not, this is, again, I'm not saying Mitch Trubisky, they would have lit the world on fire if they did so. I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not, like, a believer. But they didn't really, he only had five designed rollouts. And they were all from the gun. Like, I, I don't, I, I guess I was expecting, like, the offense to look really different. Uh, and it kind of looked the same. Like, there was some little differences, but, like, wasn't that different. Yeah, and I think Pickett showed in preseason. Okay, it's only preseason, but I think he showed in preseason that he's capable of running that offense and being a bit more aggressive yes. with it. Like, my big question for Pickett coming into this year his average time to throw in college was like 3.2 seconds, which is insanely slow. And that usually gets slower for a rookie coming into the NFL. Like, they, 
that whole speed of the game thing, that's where it manifests itself. Like quarterbacks just tighten up and they, they don't get through their processes quickly and they slow down. So if you're going to have an average time to throw of like 3.5 seconds as a guy who isn't, you know, like Michael Vick level athlete, it's a recipe for disaster behind an offensive line like Pittsburgh's. But in preseason, it was like they went out there and said, okay, show that you can get the ball out of your hands in two seconds every single time. Like, I don't care about where it goes. I don't care how far downfield. Just show that you can process at that kind of speed. And he did. And he actually looked really good doing it. So to me, his preseason was like, okay, at the very minimum, I don't care when I put Pickett in. I'm no longer like waiting for him to cross some threshold. He's ready. It's just however long it takes for Trubisky to play his way to the bench. That is such a good point because, yeah, that was my. I was like putting him behind this offensive line is death now, but I don't really feel that way, and I don't think he's going to be worse than Trubisky. I really don't. Um, the one thing we saw about from Pickett, too, that I think we something we could have expected to come out of college is he throws such a catchable ball over the middle of the field. Mitch Trubisky does not. <laughs> he works the middle so And I was well. thinking about that when Deontay Johnson made that absolute circus catch because Mitch Trubisky threw him a bad ball. I was thinking like, man, I, you remember that throw that Trubisky made to Deontay Johnson? I think it was um, in the second or third start maybe that Johnson was able to pick up like 19 or 20 yards off of it because it was so well thrown. Like that's, that's what I want to see with this offense. Give me the RPOs. Get that ball out quick. Put Pickett on the move. I don't want to watch what I just watched. I don't want to watch it. It's it was gross. Maybe maybe that's dramatic, but it was not it was not <laughs> fun to watch. Um, but to your point, like I do, or to kind of what we were discussing earlier, I don't think New England is the team you want to start a rookie quarterback against just because they'll do crazy stuff. And I don't think this New England defense is good. But I actually will say they held up a little bit better against Miami than I would have expected. Um, they, there are maybe not superstars, but they have some good players. Uh, Kyle Duggar is really good. I thought uh, yeah. Dietrich Wise really showed out. And, you know, they need, I mean, I was saying, like, they need to beat Uche. They just need someone other than Matt Judon to brush the passer. Barmore's still good. Uh, we'll see. Adrian Phillips, I think, is hurt, which would be a huge, huge, I don't know how serious it is. He got hurt during the game, but that would be a huge problem for them. Um, they've got guys and they have enough players. I think enough like versatile players where Bill Belichick can kind of game plan some confusion. I just, I don't think they're good enough to keep up with the good offenses by any means. The corners just aren't good enough, but I would wait until after this game. Let me see. When do they have the jets? They, I know. I know somebody mentioned to me that they had the jets early on. I mean, yeah, I agree that this might not be the Browns. game to start him in, but it might provide you with the excuse to start him for the next game. You know? but then the next after the Jets, you have the Bills, the Bucks, and the Dolphins. Ooh. They play some tough yeah. defenses. Whatever. But at some Just point, you know, yeah. you're gonna have to play. You have to play good teams. Um, I, I, I think New England. I, I actually think New England being favored is probably right. After we've had this conversation. I yeah, I think the thing. You know, the, the Steelers have this game plan right now where the ball's coming out immediately. It's lightning fast passes. The Patriots are very good at being able to take things like that away, you know, and they might not be able to stop you or they might not be great across the ball or across the board rather, but they're able to figure out how to make you hold the ball a tick longer and go to something different. And that's that might be all it takes for this offensive line to suddenly start showing the problems that they clearly have and for Trubisky to be Trubisky. Mm. All right. Let's take a quick break and come back with five questions. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Dinks and Dunks is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. As always, five questions for our guest, four from me, one from Lenny. We've been just kind of rolling through other games. Sam, are you ready? Yes. Panthers, Giants. This is a hard one. I'm just picking the team. Yeah. <laughs> picking the winner. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Sorry. what's the question? Didn't really give a lot of context <laughs> there. Actually, let me see who's favorite. Now I'm curious. Okay. Let me rephrase the question. Who do you think is favored without looking? I think, I think the Panthers are favored. It's the Giants by two and a half, but they're at home. This is a really? this is a gross <laughs> this is a gross like I would this is a stay away. Um, all right, let me let me rephrase this. Do you have after Week One's shocking victory for the Giants? Do you have any Giants yeah. optimism? Yeah, I do. I, I I was quite impressed by the Giants. Um, I, I think that was the biggest shock of the week to me that the the Giants ended up pulling that win out at all, but. Look, Daniel Jones played well enough that I think you can get some joy with him as the quarterback, with Brian Dayball as the the offensive mastermind, and they got production out of Daniel Jones. And yeah. one the one bad play, and even the bad play, I kind of understand what he was trying to do, and I don't think it was quite as bad as it looked. I understand that like he got chewed out by his coach on the sideline immediately after, so it obviously wasn't that good, but I get it, right? So... I'm kind of buying into the idea that Daniel Jones could be okay in this offense, and as long as that offensive line can just survive, the offense might be okay. I think they'll be. Good. I think the offensive line is going to get better and better too as the year goes along with Evan Neal being a rookie. But um, yeah, yeah, I. It's so funny. We're so results oriented. Like after because they the Titans missed the kick, the media loved. Brian Dable going for it, and and I I again I think Dable was like even if we had missed it I you know not worked out I would have been happy with it but don't you just know the people would have been trashing him if uh, if if they if the Titans had pulled that off he would have gotten just destroyed absolutely but I love that I love I, that he did I don't it. even care yeah. I don't even care if it's the right like I know some you know analytics models have said it's not necessarily the best move I. I go Same. for it. Always go for the win. Whole, wholeheartedly agree, especially when you're the young coach of a new team. Yeah, the the models don't like it because it incentivizes the other your opponent to be more aggressive and try to play for the win, as opposed to playing for a tie, where you now both sides have the option to, um, you know, get the ball. But I agree. I completely agree. It's the anti hackett All right. Question two: Dolphins Ravens. Do you think Lamar will have fixed his blitz problem for this game? Yeah, I mean, if he hasn't, it's going it. to be a rough day for this the Ravens because yeah. they destroyed him with that in that game. Um, I think they have to, right? I mean, you can't go into a game like that again and not at least have... A plan. Uh, a, yeah, like a, a legitimate game plan that isn't just, hey, Lamar, figure it out this time. Like something designed so that they give him somewhere to go consistently with the ball. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think it'll be that bad again. 
I hope not, man. This is another one that feels like a pretty early litmus test because that is like the single biggest thing potentially holding the Ravens back, in my opinion, other than injuries or whatever, from being like a true contender. And we will see because they be blitzing. All right, question three. Cardinals, Raiders. This to me feels like quite a good bounce back spot for the Cardinals. Really? Um, yeah. Explain. So I didn't even ask their the question, game plan. <laughs> I know, I know. I've just I've rolled with it this time. I figured out. I've got the I've got the lay of the land now. Um, I, the Cardinals' game plan against Kansas City was just suicidal. Like it was ludicrous. They not only did they do the exact opposite of the thing that's been proven to slow down Patrick Mahomes to whatever degree you can ever slow down Patrick Mahomes, but it's also the single biggest thing that has been proven for his entire career to fail. Like, they blitzed him 60% of the time, and against the blitz for his career, he's got like 55 touchdowns and seven picks. Like, it's insane. So, it's literally not possible for them to craft a game plan that will be as unsuccessful against the Raiders as that one was against Kansas City. So that, I think, fundamentally changes how the game will go. And then two, I think they're just generally a better team than we saw week one, but we didn't see it because they were getting their ass handed to them by the Chiefs. I think the Cardinals' offense will look a lot better, but I don't have a lot of hope for their defense to stop the Raiders just because I think... I also think the Raiders' offense... Last week, uh, what we saw from them, I think Derek Carr is not as bad as he was. I think yeah. the Chargers had a really brilliant game plan and also the horses up front, too, to execute it and in the back. And I don't think the Cardinals have those. I, this, to me, feels like a super high-scoring game. I don't know. Well, I mean, let's see, actually, who's favorite in this one. I, I'm guessing Raiders. But, uh, it's in Vegas. Yeah, it's Raiders 3.5. That feels about right. Okay. Last game that I want to ask you about. I have a question for this one, so don't jump in. <laughs> Bengals, Cowboys. No one's going to be watching this because it's Cooper Rush. But here's my question. Do you think this Bengals offensive line looks better against a pass rush that still features Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons? Better than they did last week or better last than... Week, yeah. <sighs> no, because I think... So I think overall this year it will be a significantly better offensive line than it was a year ago. But Micah Parsons might be the single best pass rusher in the NFL. And last week we saw that even Jonah Williams, who's one of their better offensive linemen, can get lit up against a really good offense or against a really good pass rusher. So I think Parsons on his own could make this offensive line look not great. And Dallas, you know, has at least one other guy they can deploy and cause issues as well. So I think for the second week in a row we might come out of the game thinking, yeah, this Bengals offensive line overhaul didn't really work. Mm. I still think they'll win, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, um, it'll be an interesting test. Also, I think just Joe Burrow has to be better, man. Like at decision-making, dealing with the pressure, uh, just not making dumb throws when he's not pressured. I don't know. It's, I think he will be too. That's why I I, I wasn't that, freaking out coming he, out of that yeah. game because I was like, ah, yeah. actually, I would have been I would have been fr- more freaked out if all of his interceptions came off of pressures. The fact that he was just like forcing it, I was like, ah, he won't do that again. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was the worst game I think he's had in the NFL, and just weird. weird. Like I was, you know, week one is always like, who are you hitting the panic button over? Which team that lost? Mm-hmm. It's like I am not even slightly panicked about the Bengals. Like they. They turned the ball over five times and still should have won the game Who twice. Who are you hitting the panic button over? It's a pivot question. 
Uh, I think the Titans are probably in some trouble. Um, Dallas are obviously yeah, Dallas. screwed without Dak Prescott. Um, those would be the two ones I'm most concerned by. Yeah, I think that's about right. I think um, the Colts fringed panic button. Fringe. I've got my eye on you. <laughs> I wasn't kidding about the must win thing with the Colts. Like I, if if they lose this week, I'm pressing all the panic buttons, and I don't think I'll be the only one. So watch out, Colts. Yeah, I mean, if they, if I mean that the that division is the thing saving yes. the other team, whether it's the Colts or the Titans. The fact that neither none of that division looks good is going to help all of them. Gross. All right, last question, as always, comes from Lenny. Uh, Lenny, big PFF fan, reader, subscriber. Would like an an edge subscription, but we can talk about that later. Uh, He did, however, notice, like a lot of people, that you had Patrick Mahomes rated eighth behind Jalen Hurts, and he wants to know if a puppy is doing the (sighs) PFF ratings. Look, I have a very nice dog named Jovi, and she has been kept well away from the PFF ratings. (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, I... It's it's an interesting thing when you try and measure something different than everything else does, you know. So whether you're looking at box score numbers, whether you're looking at uh, EPA, whether you're looking at CPOE, all of these things are sort of statistical derivatives of a collective. It's not the quarterback, it's the passing attack generally, you know. Like EPA is essentially passer rating adjusted for a few different things. But it's the same thing. It's not measuring the quarterback, it's measuring the overall passing mm-hmm. attack. PFF grades for all their strength and strengths and weaknesses are trying to show something else. They're trying to show you specifically that one guy and what he's doing on every single one of these plays. So when the scheme uh, runs mesh and the linebacker runs into three other guys and falls over and Clyde edwards Hilaire literally walks into the end zone, it's a touchdown. It's a great play. It's a big, you know, positive play for the offense, but it was a throw that either one of us could make, you know? Um, and Mahomes had a few of those in that game, and was, he made some really nice plays, but there was enough bad in there, and you know, not to mention a turnover-worthy play essentially pitched right to a defensive back in the end zone that his receiver had to break up effectively, stop becoming a turnover in the red zone. There's enough negative in there that dragged him away from the very best grades in the NFL. Now, where I wouldn't, I don't defend it too hard is... <laughs> Like, the gap between second and seventh is not significant in a one-game sample size. You know what I mean? Listeners, we have our cameras off, and all I'll say is, it's a good thing Sam can't see my face right now. (laughs) I I think in a a one-game sample size, for week one, Josh Allen was great. The rest of them were slightly less great. Thank you, Sam, so much for coming on. Not for that take, but for everything else you said. Uh, and as always, guys, you can catch Sam on Twitter, PFF underscore Sam, or the excellent PFF NFL podcast. See you next week. Uh, 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 yeah. <laughs>